Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It's the height of summer, the eve of Independence Day weekend, one of the great times of the year in Cleveland. And we're on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I am here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. And I was greeted on this eve of Independence Day weekend in America this morning with a wish for a happy Canada Day from our (laughs) resident Canada native. So I was thinking when I saw that, you know, a big block of my relatives came to the United States after spending some decades in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, and I looked up what Canada Day is. And what I found is it didn't even exist when Laura Johnston was born. <laughs> and, and, and it was created through legislative skullduggery. So it's pop quiz time, Laura. Oh, no. What is the meaning of Canada Day? I'm not going to be able to. I, I've like memorized the backstory of Canadian Thanksgiving since I've been asked that so many times. But I couldn't tell you <laughs> exactly why Canada Day came to be other than it is a day of parades and fireworks and people wearing red and white and maple leaves. And um, so, yeah, I just I've got my Canadian flag out all year round, but uh, I have my Canadian antlers on today. Man, no points for you. You don't move on to the final Jeopardy round. It is in the 1860s or 70s. This was the joining of the rest of Canada with New Brunswick and Nova Scotia into a singular country. And for a century, it was called Dominion Day. But a few legislators used a trick with no quorum in 1982 to slip through a change to much controversy. And you weren't even alive when you were born. Canada Day didn't exist. It was Dominion Day. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, okay, Happy Canada Day. Let's move on to the important holiday (laughs) next. Let's begin. What does Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost say to the people who sued to block enforcement of the state's heartbeat abortion bill, arguing that it violates the state constitution? Lisa, not a surprise that he would fight back, but what is his argument yeah. that this lawsuit is frivolous? Yeah, it was basically nana nana boo boo. I mean, he basically <laughs> said their, their argument lacks merit. A favorable ruling on it wouldn't settle the abortion issue. He said it was filed in the wrong court. They should have instead sought an injunction or a declaratory statement in state trial court. And he said abortion should be decided in the legislature or the ballot box. But we know where that would go in either of those situations. And he's asking the Ohio Supreme Court to dismiss the lawsuit. It was filed Wednesday by Ohio abortion providers and the ACLU. They're trying to make the heartbeat ban unconstitutional. And in the meantime, they're uh, uh, 
trying to get a, an emergency stay to keep the heart bill, beat bill from going into effect while this is being litigated. So there you go. Well, I, I've seen across the country that this issue is being raised on the right to privacy that is explicitly detailed, I guess, in some constitutions. That's one of the rubs is in the U.S. Constitution. It never explicitly says that we have a right to privacy. Is that going to be at the crux of this? Is it going to be a debate about whether or not Ohioans are guaranteed a right to privacy, which is something that did not work in the U.S. Supreme Court arguments? I don't know that the Supreme Court or the or the AG has signaled that yet. Um, I know that Yost did try to play both sides of the fence with our very divided Supreme Court. He said that the originalism judicial philosophy and, you know, people who believe that the Constitution is a concrete document that can't be changed, which would be, what, three or four of the people on our Supreme Court, and then the living Constitution philosophy that, you know, says the Constitution should, you know, reflect the times. So he did say that if you were in either of these camps, there would be no way that you would, you know, allow this heartbeat banned or to be upheld. I mean, it's kind of strange that he's trying to play both sides of the fence there, but he's saying that, you know, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting thing. I think there's probably a lot of legal wrangling going on in the background. This is so new and there are so many things to consider. It's going to be an evolving story, I think. Yeah, although clearly there's a path. I, I mean, this is the one of the biggest issues in the history of our country pass the amendment, get an amendment passed, put it in, make it so that nobody can dispute it. And until that happens, we're going to have back and forth arguments like this. Who knows what the ruling will be, but we could have a change in the Supreme Court Chief Justice. Well, we will have a change, but it could be go to Sharon Kennedy, who would immediately slap down this lawsuit and say it doesn't apply. The only way forward is the constitutional amendment, which we have yet to see begin. It is today in Ohio. We talk not infrequently on this podcast about private police departments permitted by Ohio law, agencies that have full arrest powers but zero accountability to taxpayers and voters. Surprisingly, one of them is going to close down. Layla, which one and why? This was a surprise, wasn't it? But apparently it's been a discussion on the table for the past several years. It's Cedar Point. Cedar Point is going to be disbanding its police department and turning over law enforcement duties to Sandusky police, probably starting in, in 2023. This agreement between the park and the city came last week after apparently several incidents in recent months that drew increased attention to law enforcement problems in the park. Under, under this new agreement, Sandusky is going to boost its presence, its police presence inside the park, while Cedar Point officers are going to concentrate on security duties. That really seems like the way it should have been all along, right? I mean, Cedar Point will pay for Sandusky to hire several more officers to staff the park. So the incidents in question, of course, there was the Top Thrill Dragster incident in which a woman waiting in line for the ride was severely injured when a, this metal projectile flew off the ride and struck her in the head. And then Cedar Point police refused to release any information about that case. And then they ended up getting sued by the Sandusky Register. And then more recently, several Ohio TV stations, including WKYC in Cleveland, aired stories about two dozen sexual assault cases in employee dorms since 2017. Men were charged in only three of the cases, according to the reports. So 
really not following up on on those investigations. I mean, so lots of policing problems with the f- police force in in the in Cedar Point, and so it just makes sense that they turn over the reins to the Sandusky Police, and uh, it seems like this is the best way forward, doesn't it? Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's ridiculous that they had a police department because if you're employed by Cedar Point, you're working for Cedar Point, not for the people. And if Cedar Point doesn't want a whole bunch of rape charges because then no one will work there, they're right. going to tell the police department, don't investigate those cases. And if a woman gets her head slammed by a piece of metal that'll scare the bejesus anybody going there, they're not going to want to release details of that. Of course. That's the problem with private police departments. I mean, we, we, we talked about University Circle. University Circle police pulled over 90 to 95% black people. They're not accountable to anybody. There's nobody you can elect to stop that. That's an abuse of the citizenry. I don't see how anybody can say that's not racism as play by an agency with arrest powers. I'm glad to hear that the city of Sandusky is shutting this down and, and putting the arrest powers and the investigative powers into the body that answers to the public. But really, there ought to be a statewide move to abolish private police departments they have arrest powers they can shoot people yeah yeah absolutely i think uh i think this should be this should be heralded as the example of of the the better way forward for all of these and i yeah i think everyone would be better served by by the sandusky police <laughs> yeah i, I mean I, it looks like sandusky really put its foot down eric wobser is a former eric wobser yeah, yeah right former north you know former greater cleveland guy who everybody was sad to see leave for the City manager, right, in Sandusky. In Sandusky. From and Sandusky. He went back to his roots there to serve that community. That's right. We've got to get him back into the I know. Uh, yeah, I'm a oh, fan of tried. his, too. Yeah, he's, yeah, they've done great things with the Sandusky downtown. A lot of revitalization there. Could you imagine if he were in Cleveland? He'd be working to stop University Circle Police, which would be great. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, let's move on. Where is the moves to stop these private police departments? Good stuff. And it did. I had never heard anything about it. Check out Susan Glazer's story on Cleveland.com. We all remember when Toledo lost its drinking water some years ago to a huge algal bloom in Lake Erie, and we've been paying attention to the blooms ever since. Laura, you know the lake better than anybody. What's the prediction for this year? It is not so bad. So, And that's not because all these mitigation techniques that we've been talking about for years are, are working yet. It's just that we haven't had a whole lot of heavy rain this spring for fertilizer to get washed into the Maumee River because that's the biggest source of the phosphorus that causes this problem and creates this blue gene, blue green cyanobacteria algae that can be harmful to wildlife and people and dogs and, and also creates this really gross scum on the top of the lake that you do not want to see if you're going to the beach or boating. It's usually in the western basin of Lake Erie. We don't usually see it in Cleveland, but it's a big deal for Toledo. Obviously, they lost access to their drinking water for days, and it's a big deal for the islands with their tourism industry. So the expected severity this year, this is on a scale of 1 to 10, is 3.5. That is pretty low. Last year, the bloom was a 6. And that wasn't even really registering as bad because in 2011, we hit a 10. And then in 2015, it was so bad, they gave it a 10.5 on a scale of 1 to 10. So Pete Krause's story attributes it largely to a lack of rain, which is odd because until about the first week of June, we were getting a ton of rain, but we haven't gotten much since. It's not just 
how much rain. That is a huge part, but it's how heavy the rain falls because we're talking about fertilizer and manure that's sitting on ground. And it, if it gets washed away into the lake and well, into the river and the tributaries to that river, that's the biggest problem. So if we have a slow, steady rain that's getting absorbed, that's not as big deal as those massive downpours that just wipe away everything off the surface. Is, I, I hope the, I, I have hopes the answer to this will be a good one, but I bet it's not. Is there any chance that the lower uh, rating is based on good behavior by farmers and trying to cut back on the phosphorus that gets washed into the lake? So, they're saying no, it just hasn't had a time because phosphorus leaches into the ground, right? This is not a one-time, one-year problem and then it restarts the clock. Like this is stuff that adds up over years. But 2,400 farmers have enrolled in the runoff mitigation program offered by the state's H2 Ohio program. Remember, that's when they pay farmers to use good practices. So they are getting people to do it and they've been working for years to really decrease the amount of phosphorus in the lake and they've got an agreement with a bunch of other states and with Canada. We're not really seeing a lot of movement on that front, unfortunately. Okay. Well, at least it's good news for this year that Toledo does not have to fear they won't be able to get water from their spigots. And you all love a story that makes me say <laughs> I do want to say <laughs> that since that happened, all of the the cities that get their water from Lake Erie have added a lot more detection systems and ways to treat their water. So I hope they never have to deal with that again. But yes, less pollution in the lake would be the ideal solution to that. It's Today in Ohio. What simple act is a greater Clevelander keying on to remove yet another barrier to black use from prospering? And Lisa, what surprises me about this one is it's, it's something that I've very been very happy to celebrate moving away from. Absolutely. This, um, th this program is called A Thousand Ties, and it started in 2019, just a few months before the pandemic shut everything down. Founder and CEO Juwan Smith said that she's got the idea after she realized that her 12-year-old son had to watch YouTube videos to learn how to tie a tie because there was no father figure in his life or anyone who, or a strong male role model to show him how to do this. So she just decided she was going to collect a thousand ties to distribute to youth in, in poverty-stricken areas and teach them how to tie it. She collected 5,000 ties in the first year, and that number has doubled annually since she started in 2019. So she wants to teach soft skills to area youth, um, and that would include things like financial, you know, uh, literacy, common etiquette, and that kind of thing. So to that end, she did create a life skills class for both boys and girls at Maple Heights High School and Invictus High School. They include things that I just mentioned, financial literacy, etiquette, and they also learn how to play chess. She wants to expand that to fourth and fifth graders in Maple Heights. She's also overseen the creation of a mentorship program, which is free. It has STEM-related activities and includes a class at Cuyahoga Community College taught by a Tri-C professor. So she wants to eventually expand this across Cuyahoga County, but she also wants to take this to other cities with high poverty rates, just the, you know, the Thai donation event and let it grow from there. And she's always looking for volunteers, always looking for monetary and Thai donations. So all of the stuff outside of the ties is wonderful beyond words. I'm, I'm surprised that ties, though, 
were the kickoff because in most places I'm aware of, men have moved away from ties and, and you rarely see them in offices now. I, there are certain occasions when you do, and I guess if you're going to a job interview, that's right. the key. That's when you would need them. And if you don't know how to tie one, that sets you at a disadvantage. Right. And if, if you know, anywhere you want to look professional. I remember back in the day when they made NBA players adhere to a dress code. And all of a sudden they started yeah. dressing up very nicely in nicely tailored suits and ties. So, I mean, the fashion mentality of it and the professional mentality of it is out there. But at the crux of it, it's like, this is something that a father teaches his son. Kids without fathers don't learn how to tie a tie. So, you know, and what other soft skills are being lost due to the lack of a parental role model? I would say, though, for most of those skills, I'm not sure that they're being taught in a lot of communities. You know, beyond, beyond, you know, black youths, I think, I mean, financial literacy, I I could argue that they're not being taught in, in many, many, many communities. How many how many uh, you know young people are being taught financial literacy in in uh, in any school district? You're probably right. Well, is and that I think actually that's the point? Right? Is that this is something that your family could be working with you on, but if you don't have the, the role model, then you're not getting it at home. And or or but I would argue that every kid could use help with this because nobody Absolutely. wants to listen that's my to point. their parents. That's my point about how they should be saving and spending their money. These and, are these are I love this mm-hmm. idea. I do too. And I think that it's it's a lot of these a lot of these uh, uh, skills aren't aren't prioritized in most families. But they do really matter because uh, they you know, really do learning manners and how to mm-hmm. talk to someone that is a huge deal when you're going to try to get a job. Right? If someone right if, if you're like put off by the way that they talk to you. You, you you know it even if they've never been that there's not trying to sound I don't know I, I I agree with all of you that this is wonderful skills and it could probably help every single kid well my generation learned all this stuff by having paper routes so <laughs> because you had to be respectful to people when you knocked on their doors to get the money you had to be responsible be there every day you had to learn to how to make you know make change and handle money and we've lost all that when I mentioned paper routes in a column a few weeks back i got blitzed by people there who we said, go chris let's restart it all and save that's right the world. let's get let's get 11 everybody year, get a paper we'll get 11 your own. and 12 year olds buy the newspaper have 12 year olds deliver it teach them financial literacy we'll all be good it's today in ohio <coughs> cuyahoga county has made one of the more unpleasant duties of home ownership a bit easier to accomplish and it's a duty with a looming deadline layla what is it Well, Chris, you noticed this when you went to pay your taxes, so it became a story for us, (laughs) as we call it in the newsroom. That's the way it always happens. A Quinn special. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So county property taxes are due in about two weeks, and it looks like the county treasurer's website has really made it much, much easier than it used to be to, to pay that bill. There's a new payment portal Super duper easy, easy link to the county's My Place site where you can search for your parcel number if you need that info. The next screen will have a summary of your property and the taxes owed, including any unpaid amount from the first half of the year. You just click Add to Cart, pick you know you pick your payment method, review, submit, confirmation and receipt. Bada boom, bada bing, you're done. Something you know works properly around here. What do you know? Who knew <laughs> we'd finally have have a functioning system in Cuyahoga County? Well, anybody who did this previously, it it was 
a non-intuitive system because once you went through all of their weird boxes, you were taken to U.S. Bank to pay it. And, you know, how many people have a U.S. Bank account? But it had little fine print saying, you don't need a U.S. Bank account, but you have to do this. But the boxes you clicked, it was almost like saying, I have a U.S. Bank account. It was Man. confusing as hell. And so you do it every year and every or every six months and look and go, why does the can This could only be designed by a government bureaucrat because no business <laughs> would survive doing this. So when I did it, last week or earlier this week it's like oh this is all new and it was great i mean i they couldn't have done a better job designing it if you don't have your bill in front of you they have a great tool for quickly finding your parcel number before that was clunky and and uneven so i i credit them you know we say lots of things when the county does wrong they did it well here but then they, I don't believe they announced it. So it's a surprise to anybody that does it. It's like, oh, there's a new system. How does this work? And I have to say, Layla, when I first saw it was a new system, I thought, oh, no, because <laughs> it's the county and yeah. they're not good at this stuff. You're but so I, jaded. <laughs> I, but I, it was a pleasant surprise. And, and, you know, Rich Exner still points out you are putting your bank account number into a computer field on the county computers. And so that's a little bit risky, but that's the way you do it if you don't want to pay a fee with the credit card. Uh, and what's the deadline? Is it? Yes, it's the it 14th, is the right? 14th. Yeah. So two weeks from today, you have to pay that. If you need to do it online, it's a lot easier. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How does the Cleveland housing market stack up to markets across the country? Laura, this is one of those statistic stories that ends up being pretty interesting. Yeah, and Zachary Smith is our data guy, and he just moved to Cleveland, so it's another reason to move to Ohio and 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 live here. So we remain more affordable than most other places. The median home value in Ohio as of April is two hundred twenty-one thousand dollars. That's actually one hundred seventy-five grand less than the median home value in the country, which it's hard to imagine, but you know, real estate on the coast is bad. So, but it's a 10.38% increase from the year before, and the average increase in home value for the entire country is 15%. So, it's bad here; it's worse elsewhere. the The idea, though, is kind of countered by the fact that the prices are way up. Yeah, I mean, it's still people are being priced out of of housing, and rental housing has gotten to a point where a lot of people can't afford it. We have, despite our ranking, we have a serious affordable housing problem. I here. don't know. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, well, I mean, well, the median, uh, of course, people get median and average mixed up. Median price means mm -hmm. half sells for more and half sells for less than that price. But if you look at the real Correct. estate transfers every Sunday in the plain dealer, there are plenty of houses that sell for under the median price. So, I mean, I get it. You know, I've read the stories, you know, and a lot of these homes are being bought and rented out instead of owner-occupied. But, you know, I, I, there are still homes that you can buy for less than $200,000 in the greater Cleveland area. Yes, 100%. But not probably very many in Geauga County because they have a, <laughs> um, a median of $410,000. Uh, they're the highest in our area than Medina, than Portage. So Cuyahoga isn't even taking the lead in that. But I, I do think, you know, I've told my friends in other places, it's like, if you want to if you want to have a, a nice quality of life and a good cost of living, move to Northeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. it's not the most exciting place to visit, but it's a great place to live. 
And you get a lot more house for your money. Of course, our house of the week published this morning. Five point nine million dollars. <laughs> like a, I love I love Joey stories like French chateau vibes. I'm like, yep, that's what everybody yeah. needs. A French chateau it, on the yeah, lake. More, more than five million. That yeah, that talk about not affordable housing. <laughs> You're listening to today in Ohio. Metro Health CEO Akram Boutros, who steps down later this year, has invested himself heavily in being socially responsible. And now we have sort of an objective measure of his success. Lisa, what is it? Yeah, the Metro Health System made an annual list of socially responsible hospitals, which is put out by the Loan Institute. Uh, Metro Health came in number 15 of 66 U.S. hospitals. Uh, They looked at 36 hospitals overall to make these rankings and these 66 hospitals were the only ones to get a grades across the board metro health is the only cleveland area hospital on the list and they got there for several reasons a lot of them because of dr boutros we have community focused programs there their commitment to medicare patients their uh, home visits for pandemic testing and vaccination doing fewer unnecessary procedures than other hospitals I think that's a key point. They use 53 metrics overall to track these 3,600 plus hospitals. They look at cost efficiency, they look at clinical outcomes, pay equity of their employees, overuse of care, patient satisfaction and safety, and uh, Metro Health number 15 of 66. That is definitely something to crow about, and that is a wonderful legacy for Dr. Bruchos as he leaves Metro Health later this year. Well, and, and it's easy to forget that when he arrived, that place was a dumpster fire financially. It was laying people off. It was deep in the red. Uh, he came in with an enormous challenge and has really turned that place around and, and remains pretty beloved by the staff there. It'll be interesting to see what he does next, but nobody can deny he has left a legacy to well and hopefully they can keep that legacy going after he's gone i mean you know he was such a such a you know an important part of that i hope that they can find someone to keep that going i was really surprised that he did not get the medical mutual job after he announced he was leaving metro health because they have a culture that's similar to metro health and they went with a guy from the Cleveland Clinic, which doesn't have that same kind of culture. It's going to week to be interesting to see what happens in that major employer as we move forward. He just seemed like a natural for that. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Private developers stepped in a few years back to build housing near Cleveland State University that was largely used by su- the students there. What's happening next to make sure it is always used by students, Layla? Well, CSU is buying those two apartment complexes, the Langston and the Edge on Euclid, and they'll be turning them into student dorms for the 2023-24 school year. Reporter Megan Sims tells us that the purchase is going to be made through the Euclid Avenue Development Corporation, which is a, a nonprofit real estate arm of CSU, and the Cleveland Cuyahoga County Port Authority Board agreed in June to issue $155 million in bonds toward that deal. So this is all part of CSU's blueprint for emerging from the pandemic. It calls for a eventually offering 3,000 beds for students living on campus and doubling the percentage of students who choose campus life from 10% to 20%. Right now, they've got about 1,000 beds on campus between Euclid Commons and Fenn Tower. And acquiring these new apartments, which will soon be dorms, obviously, will bring that to 2,000 beds. 
the idea here is is obviously to transform CSU from a mostly commuter school to to a school where students have a richer campus life and, and fuller college experience. So living on campus, everyone knows that makes a big difference in that regard. When you're part of the campus community, it's it's a completely different experience. So they're headed in that direction. Think of how that district has changed since you started working right. at the Plain Dealer. I mean, think about what it what it was like, how little housing there was, mm-hmm. and how kind of moribund that district was compared to today. Oh, it's so much more of a community feeling. I mean, it, it, and those are very nice mm-hmm. apartments. I, I interviewed a student there once for uh, a story about, well, it was related to... Um, uh, open table and uh, I went to her apartment for that interview and it's they're very very nice units and so you know and I think back to my own dorm experience I went to the <laughs> College of Worcester and my, our walls were cinder block yeah. <laughs> I'm like man they have really upped the standards for students these days which is why it's so much more expensive to go to college I know. Yeah, that, you know that's it's true, true. And so, so I think that's, uh, um, you're right, you're right. It's, yeah, and it's a much more uh, community feeling. You see students actually really, I mean, walking around and, and kind of living life there, not just coming to class, driving away, and <laughs> going back to wherever they came from. So Yeah, it's, a, it's really been a, a great development for that school. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Okay, we got some mileage yesterday about Uncrustables. Who knew we would do that? Let's go for two in the food theme. How much like Willy Wonka's fictional chocolate factory is the real thing? Reporter Mark Bona just toured the Fannie Mae factory in Canton, something that anyone can do. Laura, what did he see? I learned so much from this story. And while it's not, you know, Willy Wonka with Oompa Loompas, it's also not Lucy and Ethel stuffing chocolate down their shirts either. So... This is the fastest growing premium chocolate company in the U.S. It makes and packages chocolates with 400 employees. They work in 22,000 square feet, and they are booming. Part of it since the pandemic. I think we all turned to food when we couldn't go anywhere. So they make more than 100 different kinds of candy, and they sell individual pieces as well as boxes in their stores. It was actually started in Chicago in 1920 and has been going ever since. So the chocolate arrives in liquid form here and then there's a I can go through the whole process if you want but it, it sounds like these these vats go and they're hoses and there's there's tanks that resemble fermenters and they they hold um, a million pounds of chocolate and at one time in all of this facility and it's just this very um, matter-of-fact way of they, they they make everything there is there a chocolate river that you can take a boat on? <laughs> I don't think so. Video. No, no goose that plays <laughs> golden eggs. Wait, wait, wait. Lay, Layla's on it. Layla's going to come <laughs> no. in. There's no way of knowing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good story. I don't think it's appeared in uh, the Plain Dealer yet. It's on Cleveland. It's going on our Metro page on Sunday. So you get to see the photos and, and get to experience the wonder of, of candy. But, um, I mean, they, they try to aim for product consistency, so everything looks the same. You get the same thing. They have this really popular s'mores mix. Three lines are running consistently with two 10-hour shifts per day, 600 pounds an hour of chocolate graham crackers and marshmallows, and you want to make sure that you get the right amount of marshmallows in the package so that people don't get mad thinking, oh, this is not the right mix of s'mores. So they're very uh, specific about it. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Happy Canada Day. Happy Independence Day weekend. There'll be no podcast Monday and the rest of the week, Layla Tassi will be your host. I'll be off. I'll be back on the 11th. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening to Today in Ohio.